Hello podcast family, my name is Duncan Masua and welcome to our Farmer Mentor series brought to you by Farmers Inside Track. Now this week in our Farmer Mentor chair is Emmanuel Mopohobo, whose journey is a testament to the deep-rooted passion that flows through his family's veins. He grew up in a family of people who are passionate about the environment, food security and agriculture. As a fourth-generation farmer and founder of Tata Agri Development, the land has been their family's faithful companion for over 120 years. Today, Emmanuel's focus is on the lush fields of avocado farming, spanning 15 hectares and exporting to regions such as Europe, North America and even Asia. Emmanuel, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. Thank you for having me. We met not too long ago at a Food from Zanzi's Farmers Day in Gauteng. And I always say this, running into you by accident was like winning the lottery <laughs> unexpectedly. <laughs> you had so much wisdom and knowledge to share. And I think I was just excited by the fact that finally I had met a black commercial avocado farmer. I was literally out of my skin. <laughs> We do exist, eh? You just have to <laughs> <laughs> I was excited. How are you, my brother? How's things on the farm? I'm great. I'm good. Things are looking bright at the farm. We've had a lot of rainfall this past week, which has delayed a bit in terms of progress of what we are currently doing. But if you have an idea where we are found, we are up in the Tate Holy Forest, closest to the Tate Holy Forest, up in the mountains. So you can imagine the amount of rainfall that we have we're on a high rainfall area which we get about on a good year 800 to 900 millimeters of rain a year it's quite a high rainfall area but things are looking good you know i'd love to hear you you know talk about how you manage that you know being in such a high rainfall area how does that affect production on the farm we'll get into that a bit later i mean you were telling me about you know what's currently happening on the farm off air when we're having a conversation and honestly, all I could see was your fancy office in the background. Unfortunately, our, our listeners can't see that. <laughs> but you had a beautiful office sitting there. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It takes a long time. Started my career 25 years now in the field of environment. And you can imagine over the years what I've worked for, all the books I've studied. I like to think I'm a good reader and I don't discard whatever material I have. So I keep it for the next generations. I mean, in your intro, you did say we've, we've been farmers for a while. So the, one of the things is to, it's never outdated uh, information is still information. It might be used to reference much later on. And that's exactly why we have you on episode, Emmanuel, because you have paid your school fees. You've weathered tough storms. You know exactly what it is you talk about. And hopefully after this conversation, someone listening and will leave inspired and hopefully implement some of the strategies that you mentioned here today, implement it on their farms. But let's get straight into it. Give us a breakdown of Tate Agri Development. What are the different components or elements of your farming business? When I started the company, the main objective is to focus on environmental consulting. Environment, as you would know, it's quite broad. There is farming in it, there is horticulture, there is landscaping. So there's a whole lot of range. But our primary focus is we've got the avocado estate, which we are currently redeveloping. We also do consulting work on environmental management from horticulture to landscaping. So we do that. And also in the field of academia, 
I do some work for, for universities in terms of moderation of what the students are learning, their curriculum and their exams. So I am privileged enough to have a look at that. And I do sit in a, in a board of a college. It's agriculture college. So our primary role is to raise bursaries to fund students who are needy to study agriculture. So I'm very passionate about agriculture and food production. And it makes sense why you are so, you know, involved in different corners of the agricultural sector because you are so passionate about it. So Tata Agri Development, is that quite recently launched? Because I know your family has been in the industry for 120 years. What were your primary focus as a family? And it sounds to me like you have sort of shifted into a different direction. Is that how I understand it? You are quite correct. Where the estate is, it was founded by my great-grandfather. In the early 1900s, his name was Mokondere. He's lived in that property all his life. And my grandmother was born there in 1906. And she lived all her life there. My father also grew up in the property. So my great-grandfather was a farmer, but his focus was on livestock and crops. So you can imagine back in the days, your wealth was measured by how much land and livestock you had. And if you look at our motto in Tate Agri, it says, which is a vendor word, loosely translated, the wealth is in the earth. So once you've got the land, you've got the biggest asset you can ever mm-hmm. work on. Land is critical. So after that, then my grandfather died around 1962 or so. And at the time, my father then took over, but he's the person who started avocado farming. And at the time, I understood it was green gold. People are talking about green gold now. It's been there back in the days, but you can imagine you need to have a lot of information, skill. So my father, who has passed now, was a very knowledgeable person. I learned the way I do things from him. I used to follow him around, see him, how he engages, how he gets information. Because when you start with no knowledge, no money, it's a mountain to climb. But I can tell you that it's doable. You just have to know the path. And the path can be asked by those who've already walked the path. They will tell you. They might not clear up the path for you, but you're going to have to find your own path. Around early 60s, my father started avocado farming. And he did well. At some point, he was exporting the avocados. I was still very young at the time. All I remember, school holidays or on weekends, you know, we used to go up and be involved with the farm. That's when I learned the industry of farming. I'm a qualified horticulturist myself with a master's degree, which is the biggest asset that I have to be able to understand plants and how to grow plants. It's one of the careers that I, it was in my blood since, since the beginning. There has been some difficulties. You know, farming is not an easy, not an easy thing. So I would like to encourage those young people who want to pursue farming as a career to have mentors. You are going to learn a lot. And yes, it's good to go to university or study some more, upskill yourself, but you will need to find mentors, people who are also doing the same. So you will learn a lot. Then around the late 90s, we've had a few disasters. We've had fell fires and we had burned down properties twice already. I just look at it as a phase in life which really tests your passion if you are really, really cut out for it. We would joke with my father that uh, the one time the property bent down, I mean, there's nothing much you can do. 
those flames are just scary with your yeah, fire breaks and yeah. it's devastating. But the question he asked me was, are you prepared to start all over again? And I had said, yes. And this is where I'm still standing till today. So you then replanted avocado trees yeah. after that fire. So now your question to say is the company restarted. Then when I had to start, is at the time where my father was old at the time, then I had to take over the next generation. And he was like, okay, let's see what you can do. Old school, it's always the best. And I said, okay, it's unfortunate that today is not alive to see what the dreams that I always had, what yeah. I would want to do. But then what I told myself was this time I'm going commercial farming. It sounds scary, but I've got the right people standing by my side that I'm still learning from and get the knowledge from. So to be able to go that route, it has to run as a business. And I've been around, I've seen the world, I've worked in bigger establishments locally and abroad. So I know how to run a business. So that's the first start that I had to do. The company was registered in 2018 slowly build up one of the biggest difficulties you would face is funding. So with no funding, but you still have to soldier on, figure it out how you're going to do it. So a company is busy re-establishing. The estate is the one part of it. And then the business, the establishment, which is a P2Y limited, it's a tool to be able to help me access the markets up there because going commercial and the target is to go export. So they have to run as a business. Tell me, you know, after that fire and sort of reestablishing, you know, those avocado groves, those trees, how do you go about choosing the right variety and also a suitable location to grow your avocado trees? The climatic conditions that you guys experience in Limpopo, it's not necessarily the same as KZN or here in the Western Cape. So how do you make those decisions when it comes to variety and location? I kind of work backwards, if you know what I mean. Firstly, believe you me, I secured a market first before I could do anything else. So I've got a secured market to export. The type of fruit that you want to export, it needs to have a longer shelf life. So you can imagine from harvest to the table, there are logistics in between. So besides that, then you need to know what sort of soil conditions you need to have soils that, that has got good drainage and there are elements that are necessary or very critical production of or any um, tree for all plants to able to flourish. I did soil tests to see what's on the soil. You need to know what pH your soil have and there are professionals who can help you work out a remediation plan. So to improve the drainage, now there is a big thing now with the soil preparation, which is the ridging. So basically, it's just to rip your ground to about a meter deep, and then you create a ridge so that your trees are planted on top of a ridge, and that helps with the drainage. Avocado are very sensitive to root rot or phytophthora. It's a very detrimental thing to have if your fruit are not protected from that. The climatic conditions are very key. I spoke earlier on about the amount of rainfall. So if you're in a high rainfall area, that is likely to push or to reduce your pH to more acidic soils. So you need to be able to balance off your pH. We also have an altitude advantage of higher altitude, and that helps because your avocados require you know, a subtropical climate with less frost if possible. There's also a need for irrigation during your dry season, you need to supplement. It's doable to farm without irrigation system, but with the path that I've taken to go commercial, I want to make sure that my fruit is at a quality that is able to compete with other markets. 
So then I came down to the variety that is going to last me longer as I want to export. And has variety is it's one of the fruit that ticks all the boxes. What we are busy doing is to obviously do the export market, but also have a smaller portion for local market. And for that, I would go with the fruity. So it helps to be able to balance the scale. So those are the two uh, varieties that I've narrowed down to. Through experience, we've had both the varieties, the farms, as I mentioned earlier on, my father had, had planted. And it shows that the information that he had was relevant. So now it's just for me to be able to see where to improve with the latest technology and the trends. For instance, the region. When you planted at a time, it was just to plant the tree on the ground and that's it. But now you need to do the ridging, you need to put in irrigation, you need to work out the maintenance programs, maintenance of the trees so that they last you a bit longer. I mean, you can imagine the trees that we have today, they are over 50 years. It was at the right time when it's time to place the trees and I take in the path to go full-scale commercial and also to go with the current trends that everyone is doing. It must be a scary step to take to replant. <laughs> yeah, it's scary in the beginning, but if you know what you want to do, you put all your effort. And, you know, like they say in farming, there is no room for error. You do it, you get it right first time to save you money because you don't want to do something, do it incorrectly, and you only realize three years later when you're supposed to harvest and you've put money down on the ground and to get it back to recover from that is very difficult. So that's why I rely a lot uh, on my mentors also. As much as it seems I'm quite knowledgeable, there are those who've been even more experienced and more knowledgeable in, in what I'm doing. So it helps a lot to engage and also to affiliate to organizations that specializes. I mean, I affiliated to an organization that purely focuses on avocado farming. And there's a lot of information research-based. So we collect data all the time. So whatever difficulties that I find, I raise my hand. And if there's a need for more research to be done, it's done. And then we share with other farmers around the area. Is it possible for you to perhaps share the name of that organization? I would love for people to be able to do a Google search and see how they could possibly benefit from that. The organization is called South African Avocado Growers Association, which falls under the umbrella of a subtrop. It's one of the first things that I had to do, and it was through being advised to join that organization. I've learned a lot. I'm still learning. There are study groups, uh, which happens on a monthly basis. I participate. Organizations like Food from Zanzi, like you had said, we just bump into each other and I was just sitting one day, I said, who's food from Zanzi? Maybe let me just go and have a look. Yeah. So that's my attitude that I have. And little did I know that I'm going to expand my networks. And what my goal is now, whenever I go to these gatherings, I need to take somebody who has never heard or know little about what's happening out there. And by spreading the word, uh, you know, we can be able to reach much more farmers that I need. Definitely agree with you there, my brother. Maybe take it back to dad when he planted those avocado groves. Funding an avocado farm is quite a significant undertaking and it requires a lot of capital. Um, how was your family able to fund such an undertaking? You know, was it through savings, loans, grants or subsidies? How were you able to do it? So with my father, he had no funding and no grant, nothing. It's quite an inspiring thing to do. So Later in his life, my father was a builder, but by having a friendship with people who've been doing farming, specific avocado farming, so he went to learn how to grow trees. So what we used to do, we used to go collect seed and we germinate it at the back garden at home. And once the seedling has grown, he used to graft it 
himself. And that's where I learned how to hold a grafting knife and what a scion is and what a rootstock is and how to do it. So he planted the entire property, 20 hectares of it, by growing from seed and grafting himself. But it took him, I think it was about six years or so. He did it in a phased approach with no irrigation. So it was watered by hand. So you can imagine the amount of passion and dedication you must have from fencing everything. There was no funding at all. There has been a lot of heartache. Sometimes you, you lose trees, you've got to replace them. So which for me, it's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. To be patient and not to give up because you can face obstacles sometimes and you feel like this is not worth it. The rewards at the end, it's greater than the pain that you pay. So this is what keeps us young farmers to keep it going. It was not easy at all. When I had an idea to redevelop the farm, I, I don't have funding. I don't have grant. I didn't have any of those. So it's a matter of reprioritizing in life and sacrificing some of the things. So I had to seriously readjust my lifestyle. And it's hard for me and my family. I've got a family as well. So I always involve them into what we are doing with a bigger objective because there will be time which I will not be here and all this legacy that we build, I mean, the next generation, which now is going to come, which is the fifth generation, they must be able to excel and do even better than uh, in my generation that I've done. So yes, I've sacrificed a lot personally. I've taken some loans at some point to really do it. I'm not there yet. And uh, sometimes it's scary to look at what I need to do. I mean, product costs that you need to develop, to go commercially. It looks impossible until you start. The main thing is to start. And each time I've got on my desktop, in my fancy office, as you put it, I've got a board. I do it like a project with targets to say by when I need to achieve what. So sometimes I don't achieve it, but I just have to rework the plan. Just one task that you achieve, it's a good thing. And yeah. to save time and effort to be able to network as much as you can. One day it shall happen. You highlight a very important point that often we get so discouraged when our goals and plans don't happen when we'd like them to happen. But I think the important thing is to attach a timeline to it. If it doesn't happen in that time, it's your goal, it's your vision. You can still adapt it as required. So it's quite inspiring to hear you say that as a farmer. You need to understand that when you meet people who are willing to help you, you have to put something yourself. It's one thing to have this beautiful idea. You want to do avocado farming. And look, I'm most fortunate that uh, it has been in my blood for a while. I've learned. So if you want to start and you don't have the land, you don't have the funding, I think the good start is to get the knowledge and understand what you want to do. And you don't actually need to buy or own the land. Maybe somebody's got a bigger portion and you may want to lease. There are many other options that you, you could consider. But to associate yourself with the right, it's very key. Manuel, everyone is listening to this episode right now and they're asking me, Duncan, ask this man how he makes money. <laughs> I, think <we> all <laughs> I think we all want to know, how do you generate an income? I know you mentioned the agricultural consultancy services that you do. From an avocado perspective, how do you generate money? And what are some of the other things that you do in order to finance your business? You know, there are people who have got their normal seven to four jobs that they do. It's still doable. I also see that field as well, but it just means that you're going to have to have less time to sleep or less time to do other things. So it's all about time management. So I do have my seven to four. I started my career in horticulture and I've worked long enough that I'm starting to redirect my life into something that I'm more passionate about. 
So I do many things. The home that I stay in, I rent it out shows. I'm a horticulturist by profession, so my garden looks good enough to let people come and look at the spaces. Those ones who have small baby parties or you name it, you can come and, and, and rent the space. I just try all different things. I've got friends out uh, in, in Zanin who've got a sawmill, so we make a furniture out of tabletops. I sell that as well. You just try different things, but I just want to encourage everyone, if you are employed, you've got your seven to four job, you can still do it. It takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time. And those who want to network or to collaborate with me or for ideas can do something together, I'm open to that. It seems impossible until it's done. So the biggest step is to start. Yes, without funding, it's very difficult, but still doable. I'm a very positive person. I'm optimistic. And you also have got to be a risk taker as well. But we know risks must be calculated, but it's doable. I read somewhere that you were leading parks departments in England and Switzerland. One day when we see each other again, you need to tell me that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've, I've done it all in, in the horticulture industry. I was part of the team that did an exhibition in Chelsea in England. It was 2004. Those who was a bit with horticulture, they will know that that's the ultimate you can ever do to go exhibit in Chelsea. You got bronze award for that. So that's for next discussion. Yeah, that's another discussion. <laughs> to back to the financial aspect, what are the financial risks and how can they be mitigated? You've got to do your research. You've got to read and ask questions and all that. And one of the main thing is the market price fluctuation. You can go develop whatever size estate you want and it takes you three years for your fruit to bear or four years and then you ready for market. And by the time... You go to market and the price is flat. You're not getting value for money. So you can actually lose a lot of money. So how to mitigate that? What we are doing is to diversify, you know, the market. Yes, I spoke about export, but also local market. Uh, there is an issue with food security all over. So people want the food. So a smaller percentage for me would be to look at the local market. You also want to sort of try and secure long-term contracts so that you can secure a much more stable price. So what I mean with that is if you have, say, five, 10-year agreements to be able to supply a market, that's if you be commercial, then we know that the price will sometimes will be higher, sometimes it will be lower, but over a period of time, you will get your returns. Avocado farming, the good thing is that once the investment that you've put on your capex to be able to develop the land, once you start harvesting every year, you are going to get income out of it which your return on investment is much more greater. Also, you need to look out for production risks, such as your, you know, the, the weather changes. I mean, you can see with, with the current conditions that we're facing, it can bring down your yield. If your yield is lower, then obviously your harvest, you're not going to get as much as you've got your high yield or the rent value that is. I spoke about earlier on the issue of other risks like self-fires. It does happen. It can destroy your property. The other big thing now, it's theft of all this fruit. So you've got to do proper food system in place to minimize. Risks can be minimized. There's still a possibility of it, but as long as you minimize it, and each time you identify a risk, you mitigate it, and the next time you are much more aware. Access to capital, it's one of the biggest hurdles that you're going to face. With building relationship, you will never know one day who to be able to assist. 
And lastly, for me, it's also to diversify after you've harvested your crop, it's done, all the hours is up to the market, it's all good. But what do you do for the rest of the season or the rest of the year? You prepare for the next season, you feed your trees, you look after them, but to have other crops as well. We call them cash crops or other things. It can be livestock to be able to bring income. And also, like myself, you can sell your skill elsewhere to other farmers who wants to develop with the knowledge that one has. You've built over the years. You are able to become a consultant to help other people because it's one thing to, to be prosperous and succeed. The main thing is to help others to follow the same path. Manuel, there's a farmer listening to us right now. They might want to diversify into avocado production or they might want to expand their current avocado production. What advice do you have for that farmer? The first thing you would need to do is access to land, as we've said. And secondly, earlier on, we spoke at the beginning about the, the climatic conditions, soil conditions. And from there, then you need to figure out how you're going to do and how you're going to raise some capital. And I will also advise to find mentors nearest to you. Perhaps people who would want maybe a bit of, of uh, a clue of where to look. I'm free to help. I'm here also to do that. There are people who also help me as well. So it's my passion also assist other farmers. Whether you want to go small scale or you want to do commercial, it's a journey. We make sure that we go together. What do you think are the key factors contributing to the success and sustainability of your farm? What would you say? What are some of those key factors? Proper land management. It's quite key. Over the generation, things change. I mean, the way my father did farming is different to how I'm doing it, but it just builds one on top of the other. Uh, just to give you an example, when it started, there were no ridges done. It was just tree on the ground. That's it. It relied on rainfall. And yes, it did bear fruit. But for me, with the knowledge that I have that I've acquired over the years and through studying, proper land management is key. And also to be able to, to diversify crop diversity so that you can be able to supplement your income generation. You also need to understand the integrated pest management. Your trees, every year, there will be something that might come, you know, and attack your trees. And that's why I spoke earlier on about joining study groups or organizations that specializes in that fruit. So it's going to help you in terms of, it's a membership fee that you pay. And from there, there are specialists You've got access to, to people who can help you with identifying those pests or any diseases that may come. So it's quite a good investment to do. Water management is key. Yes, the, the trees would need to be supplemented during the dry season. You need to understand how you do it. The way we watered back then was just by hand. And now, I mean, it can just be a waste of water. So you need to have a proper irrigation systems to be able to make sure you water at the right time, the right quantities and all that. Research and innovation, I think is very key so that you keep updated of what's the latest out there. There are other countries say, that are growing avocados, same like us, South Americans, North America, Kenya, Tanzania, they also do uh, avocados as well. So by finding or joining network and meeting more people and learning more and more, and also to do a bit of research in your own establishment, it goes a long way and that's critical. And that feeds lastly to professional development. It's a learning journey all the time. So you, you keep learning new things, access to information. It's much easier these days, you know, with internet, you're able to look out for clues or for answers and it's doable. 
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Emmanuel Maporogo, a fourth-generation farmer and founder of Tate Agri-Development, running a family farm that has been in his family for over 120 years. My brother, thanks so much for hanging out with us here on Farmers Inside Track. It was really great having you with us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And I would encourage everyone who's listening, if you've got a passion, to never give up. And you'll never know when the right moment is, when the time is right, it will happen. Participate in these different platforms. And I can tell you that when when I first heard about Shoot from Zanzi, I knew little about it. And it was at the time when there was a farmer's day and I told myself that I'm going to go and attend. And when you attend these platforms, network, speak to people. I know it can be very intimidating. People have got different characters. You know, some people are shy. And the one thing that Duncan had said that if you're a farmer, you can't be shy. So speak to people, network, and the person you're speaking to might be that person who's going to be open the door for you or point you to the right door, which is waiting for you to be open. Thank you. Exactly what he said. I googled earlier on your name means God with us. So God be with you, my brother, on your journey as you head on to your avocado production. I know there's a lot of plans that you have in place. So all the best and we'll definitely keep in touch. Thank you so much. Right, over to our farmer question. Now this week's question comes from Quibbers Janssen. He has a question about effective soil management practices for cabbage cultivation. His question is answered by seasoned cabbage farmer and agricultural consultant Andile Ngobo. Hi, my name is Kubis Janssen. I recently ventured in a cabbage farm, but I've been facing some challenges with soil and management of my cabbage crops. Could you please help me with some tips, effective soil management practices that could work well for the cabbage cultivation? Please. For one hectare of cabbage production, you're looking at about anything from 30,000 to 45,000 heads of cabbage, depending on how big you want the cabbages to be. The more you have, the smaller the size will be. The less you have, the bigger they will be because they won't be competing for space. The first thing you need to ensure is that you have done your soil tests to firstly check acidity or the alkalinity of your soils, just to see if the soil is well balanced to allow conducive growth for cabbage. Subsequently, you will then get results that will determine how much nitrogen deficiency you have in the soil and how much nitrogen you might need to add, how much phosphorus and how much potassium may or may not be needed. Once you've balanced or corrected your soil, you're obviously corrected as you're plotting. Make sure that you have enough water for irrigation because cabbages need at least two hours of irrigation at a certain rate every day. So the rate is obviously determined by the type of soil you have. If your soils are well drained, you will need a little bit more irrigation than if your soils are a little bit more waterlogged, in which case they retain the soil moisture. Um, then you got to make sure that you have the right cultivar and you're planting within the right season. So another thing is to check if the cultivar you have is good for warmer days, like we do have in summer now, which is quite difficult to farm cabbage in, or if it's better suited for winter. In KZN specifically, we have green coronet, which is conducive for winter growth, but then we plant star cultivar, which we plant in summer. Those are some of the things one needs to look at uh, when 
planting cabbage, it's a holistic thing. You know, you can't just focus. You can't just focus on the soil. You've also got to focus on the environment, the water, soil type, and then as well as the cultivar, the actual plant itself. Join us again when we meet another seasoned steward of the earth, ready to guide the next generation of farmers. Don't miss out on the exclusive article covering this episode on www.foodformzanzi.co.za. To our amazing audience of farmers and agriculture enthusiasts, thank you for joining us and remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss any of the episodes. From me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan van der Vendt, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, thanks for listening.